Today's scripture reading is from Philippians chapter 2, verse 19, through chapter 3, verse 9. I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you soon, that I may be cheered when I receive news about you. I have no one else like him who will show genuine concern for your welfare. For everyone looks out for their own interests, but not those of Jesus Christ. But you know that Timothy has proved himself because as a son with his father, he has served with me in the work of the gospel. I hope, therefore, to send him as soon as I see how things go with me. And I am confident in the Lord that I myself will come soon. But I think it is necessary to send back to you Epaphroditus, my brother, co-worker, and fellow soldier, who is also your messenger, whom you sent to take care of my needs. For he longs for all of you and is distressed because you heard he was ill. Indeed, he was ill and almost died. But God had mercy on him, and not only on him, but also on me, to spare me sorrow upon sorrow. Therefore, I am all the more eager to send him, so that when you see him again, you may be glad, and I may have less anxiety. So then, welcome him in the Lord with great joy, and honor people like him, because he almost died for the work of Christ. He risked his life to make up for the help you yourselves could not give me. Further, my brothers and sisters, rejoice in the Lord. It is no trouble for me to write the same things to you again, and it is a safeguard for you. Watch out for those dogs, those evildoers, those mutilators of the flesh. For it is we who are the circumcision, we who serve God by his spirit, who boast in Christ Jesus and who put no confidence in the flesh, though I myself have reasons for such confidence. If someone else thinks they have reasons to put confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, in regard to the law, a Pharisee, as for zeal, persecuting the church, as for righteousness based on the law, faultless. But whatever were gains to me, I now consider a loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them garbage that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness that comes from God on the basis of faith. The word of the Lord. Well, I listened to Bernie's sermon from last week, and I do believe he can tell a much better story that I can tell. But I'm curious, uh, Bernie, do you have like a, a face like mine underneath that, that beard? Um, so my challenge to you now is to, to shave your beard so we can see. I don't think I've, I've, I've even seen a picture of you without a beard. So that would be quite the sight. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for tonight. Thank you for your word. Thank you for these people. Uh, Lord, it was a bit of an exhausting day today for those who volunteered, and I'm, I'm so grateful for those that came tonight, came back. Um, we, we're also grateful for any that are logging into the live feed through Facebook to watch. Uh, would they also be moved by your word? Would your Holy Spirit speak to us uh, through my fallen human lips? In Jesus' name, amen. So have any of you ever gotten sucked into like one of those magazine or 
BuzzFeed surveys that, like, if you answer 10 questions, it'll tell you, like, which movie character you are or kind of something about your personality just by show of hands, like, which Disney princess, I'm sure, Andy, you've taken that one, uh, or Disney prince. Uh, I, I got Aladdin earlier today, and I actually took the princess one as well, and I got Snow White. Uh, pretty exciting. <laughs> Now, I also took uh, some that I wanted to show you some pretty uh, funny photos from. So I, I took the, which Harry Potter character are you? And I got the uh, one Severus Snape. Uh, and this guy's like a bad guy for most of Harry Potter. Uh, he's cold, he's calculating, he's sarcastic, and he's an emotional wreck on the inside. And those things all describe me, apparently, according to this quiz, this scientific quiz. To balance it out, I took a Lord of the Rings uh, quiz and I got Legolas. I'm pretty excited about this. I'm apparently a calm, collected, cool warrior who cares about my friends. And both of them got the face right, so that's good. Now, if you have never taken one of these quizzes, that's great. That's a good thing. Uh, they're kind of a waste of your time, but don't we... Don't we like to categorize ourselves? Don't we like to put ourselves into boxes and kind of think about ourselves and understand who we are? I think it's important to understand who you are. And today, we're talking about what type of disciple you are. We're going to look at three examples of disciples. We're going to look at Timothy, Epaphroditus, and Paul. A disciple means a learner, a follower, a student. Now, we as Cornerstone define a disciple as a follower of Jesus. So they are followers of Jesus, and they have kind of different things that can tell th us things about ourselves. And you might see overlap among the three of them, so it's not going to be just one type that perhaps you fit into. So let's look at the first character, Timothy. Now, he appears in verses 19 through 24 when Paul talks about sending Timothy to the church at Philippi. And if I were to define kind of the type of disciple Timothy is, I would say he's a, he's a servant disciple. He's someone who serves. And you should know a few things about Timothy. We first meet Timothy on Paul's second missionary journey. So this is a map of uh, Paul's second missionary journey. You can see he kind of starts in this region, and he goes through Asia, and this is where he gets to Lystra. This happens in Acts chapter 16. And in Acts 16, he meets Timothy. Now, we're in the book of Philippi. The, the map's a little bit of a skew, but you can see that they eventually get to Philippi down here in ancient Macedonia, modern-day Greece, and then that's modern-day Turkey. So this is where Paul meets Timothy in Lystra in Acts 16. Now, Timothy comes from a Christian family, as much of a Christian family as you can have back in that time. His great-grandmother, his grandmother is a Christian. His mother is a Christian. We don't think his father was a Christian because his father was a Greek, and they would have said if he was a Christian. Uh, but because he grew up, he's kind of uh, grew up as a Christian. He's, he's kind of in this unique situation and grew up Greek. Uh, in the early church, uh, circumcision uh, for the Jewish people, well, not even really in the early church, but for the Jewish people, circumcision was a sign of being one of God's people. It was one of the things you had to do. 
And uh, if you don't know what that is, you can go home and you can ask your parents about circumcision. It's a medical procedure that kind of set the Jewish people apart. And Timothy was kind of coming into a church situation that was largely made up of Jewish people, but he himself was not circumcised. He was Greek. And we'll talk about uh, this theme a little bit later in our message. But when Paul met Timothy, he actually circumcised him in Acts 16 because they were going to go out and be missionaries to the Jewish people. And they didn't want the Jewish people to be thinking about that instead of thinking about Christ Jesus. Now, Paul and Timothy, they have a long history. They continue kind of ministry together. Paul sends Timothy places. Timothy really becomes a pastor, a church planter. Uh, He's a young guy. Uh, and he, he works to love and care for the local church. The local church is just like what we have here tonight, Cornerstone. We're an example of a church in a local place. And Paul writes Timothy two books, 1 Timothy and 2 Timothy, that really explain how to manage, oversee, and shepherd the local church. So Timothy is a disciple who has served Christ, who has served Paul, in the local church setting for many, many years. And Paul has this to say about Timothy in verses 20 through 22. He says, I have no one else like him who will show genuine concern for your welfare, for everyone looks out for their own interests, not those of Jesus Christ. But you know that Timothy has proved himself because as a son with his father, he has served with me in the work of the gospel. So I want to focus in on his servitude and how he goes about doing that. See, he reflects some of the things we've been talking about. Timothy serves humbly. Now, remember what Paul has been encouraging the church to do? He said, be unified. You as a church, be unified. Be humble. Be joyful. Don't grumble. And then he gives two examples, kind of like sermon illustrations to show and demonstrate his point. His first one is Timothy. Timothy serves humbly. He has a servant's heart. You remember how this uh, book starts out in Philippians chapter 1, verse 1? It says, Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus. And then in chapter 2, we find this verse. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves. Well, that sounds like Timothy, doesn't it? Not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of the others. Whose interest does it say that Timothy put first? Christ's interests. He's putting Christ's mission first. He was humbling himself, caring about others, caring about Jesus more than himself. This is what it means to be a humble servant disciple. And we're called to love others humbly as well, aren't we? To put others' needs first above our own. Now, why would Paul do this? Does he do it? Why why would Timothy kind of humble himself and care for the church? Is it because he wants like likes on his Facebook page of all of his service projects that he's doing for the church? Is it because he wants kind of pats on the back? Hey, you've been doing a great job. I really appreciate your humble attitude. No. It's because of his love for Christ, specifically his love for the gospel message. It says that he serves with 
Paul in the work of the gospel. He serves the gospel faithfully. So we see in verses 21 and 22, we see Paul, uh, we see Timothy amplifying Christ and then amplifying the message of Christ, the gospel, the good news about Jesus. So I hope that we all know what the gospel is, but there's no shame if you don't know kind of what the gospel is. The gospel is just the good news that if we repent of our sins and put our faith in Christ and trust him and continue to do this throughout our lives, Christ comes into our lives and changes us and saves us and brings us into eternity. See, Timothy believes this message. He wants the church to be impacted by this message. That's why he humbles himself, because he knows it's not about me. It's not about my gifting. It's about Christ. It's about furthering the good news. So now we ask ourselves, am I like Timothy? <laughs> am I a disciple who serves? If I took a quiz, would I, would I pull out like the face of Timothy? Well, to help us figure this out, I brought a few quiz questions for us tonight to discern if you're a Timothy. Well, one, do you show genuine concern for the welfare of others? Do I do that? Two, do you serve others humbly, not looking for praise or reward? Three, do you put Christ and the gospel message first in your life? And four, do you love the local church and put the church's needs before your own? If you can answer yes to these questions, then you are a Timothy. You're a, a servant disciple. But chances are, when you look at this quiz, you see, you're like, well, maybe I have like 1.5. Like, uh, well, that's okay. That means you're becoming Timothy. That means God is working on you. We're not expected to be perfect. This is a journey, a story. So if you have a beginning of a yes, praise God. Let's keep walking in that. You're a disciple who serves. Now, Paul doesn't stop with Timothy. He gives a second example of a guy named Epaphroditus, a disciple who sacrifices we see this in the story of Epaphroditus. The church at Philippi, what do they do? They send Epaphroditus to see Paul in Rome to take care of him, to help pay for his rent. So they, they send an allotment of money with Epaphroditus to pay for Paul's rent as he's under house arrest. But also just to keep him company, to love him, to kind of be a person in that situation with him. So there's a lot of sacrifice for the church at Philippi, but also for Epaphroditus. He sacrifices his life, his time, his money, his energy. When I think of Romans 12.1, offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, I think Epaphroditus is doing just that. Can you, can you imagine all the things he had to sacrifice to, to help Paul? Now, when I mean sacrifice, I mean just gave it to God. Said, God, you're going to use this to do whatever you want with this. So his time. Can you imagine, like, they didn't have, like, a one-way one flight to, from Philippi to Rome. There, 
There was no, uh, you know, steam ships. There was no locomotives. It was about 700 to 1,200 miles, depending on the route you took. You could go on a boat and then maybe some land. It was a dangerous journey. And it, took, it could take between six weeks and three months, just a one-way trip to get there. That was a huge time commitment. I imagined he planned to spend a lot of time with Paul in Rome. Think of the financial cost. There's this cost to the church at Philippi because they give the money to Paul. They send it with him. But then they also had to pay to get Epaphroditus there. And then Epaphroditus himself had to leave whatever work, whatever vocation, calling he had in Philippi so that he could get to Paul. And I don't know about you, but I, I doubt he had like great hours that he could take off, like leave. So it would have cost him financially. And then Paul tells us very clearly about the cost to Epaphroditus' health, to his energy. And we don't know if it was the journey that got him sick. It's very likely that it was the journey that got him sick. But at some point, when he's at Rome, he is deathly ill. He gave up his health, his body, his energy to serve Paul, to love the church, to love the message of Christ. Now there's this verse at the end, verse 30. It says, he risked his life to make up for the help you, your, you yourselves could not give me. That sounds kind of negative, doesn't it? But really it's just telling us something more about the heart of Philippi. The heart of the local church in Philippi. They loved Paul so much, they all wanted to go. <laughs> Load up all the believers and go to Rome and love Paul. But that's not practical. You can't do that. And so what do they do? They send a representative. They send Epaphroditus to go and to love Paul in his context. So question, are you an Epaphroditus? Let's look at our next round of quiz questions. Do you give up your time to care for others? Do you give your money to help those in need, missions, and the ministry of the church? Do you expend your energy to energize others? If you can answer yes to these questions, then you're an Epaphroditus. You're a disciple who sacrifices. And chances are, just like the Timothy quiz, you probably don't have yeses for every single one of these. Or maybe you can think of like, yeah, about a month and a half ago, I gave up time caring for other people, but I haven't done so recently. Or man, I can give money to missions, but I don't really put any in the offering. Well, we can become a sacrificing disciple. We can become a sacrificial Epaphroditus. Now, as I wrote this sermon, like, like Paul kind of illustrates uh, his message of humility and joy and unity with Timothy and Epaphroditus, I wanted to illustrate my message. Uh, I wanted to illustrate the disciples Timothy and Epaphroditus. Uh, but I was kind of struggling to find one, and so I subscribed to preachingtoday.com, and so I logged in and kind of searched their vast array of deep theological resources, and the, the suggestion they had was Batman, <laughs> specifically Batman's sidekick, Alfred. Now, maybe some of you have no clue of what, who Batman and Alfred are, uh, but Alfred is Batman's butler, and when Bruce Wayne, who is Batman, when his parents die at a young age, Alfred raises Bruce Wayne. 
He raises him to be a man. He, he teaches him. He, he takes care of him. And when he, when he grows up, like, Alfred is always behind the scenes caring for Batman as he's running around Gotham City, as he's doing his crazy things, even when he's home uh, getting uh, mended and uh, kind of healed from getting bruised. Oops, go back one. That's a picture of, <laughs> of Alfred. He's always there. He's a sacrificial servant. He's a, he's a disciple of Batman. He believes in his mission, and he gives everything, his entire life, to care for Bruce Wayne. So we should all be exactly like that, right? The problem with Alfred is that he's perfect. <laughs> None of us can be the perfect disciple. None of us. Like, he, he's He's imaginary. He is from the comics. He's not real. And so it's good to kind of take a moment and, and realize that Timothy and Epaphroditus, they are real, but maybe you're feeling like, wow, I could never be like Timothy. I could never be like Epaphroditus at the level that God expects of me. Timothy and Epaphroditus, they're real people with real faults. They have issues. They had, they had problems. Paul doesn't write about those things in this letter, but they were humans too. And so that means that we really can model them. But on the other hand, we can be a bit discouraged, right? When we, when we look at examples of really good disciples, we can feel frustrated. God, why aren't I there yet? How can I get there? And I think this is one of the reasons that Paul kind of shifts. He shifts in tone in chapter 3. He was talking a lot in chapter 2. One in, mostly in chapter 2, he has a lot of commands, a lot of what we call imperatives, where he says, do this, do that. And we need to realize that in order to do these things, we need something to change on the inside of us. We need God's help. And chapter 3 is really a shift to focusing on God, his greatness, God's grace in our lives to enable us to obey. And so I want to look at the third disciple example, Paul. He is a disciple who is not good enough. I don't know about you, but as we've gone through this series and I've preached some of these sermons, I really appreciated Bernie's sermon last week because it emphasized grace but as we talk about all these things that we're supposed to do, it can be discouraging because I always fall short. I am a disciple who is not good enough. And Paul emphasizes that as well. He starts in chapter 3, in verse 2. He starts talking about watching out. Watch out for those dogs, those, those people. Well, who's he talking about? There's this group of believers in the early church who were Jewish, came from a Jewish background, called the Judaizers. Remember that theme of circumcision, that Timothy went and got circumcised? Well, they would actually say that Timothy had to get circumcised in order to be a Christian. Not that Timothy could get circumcised in order to kind of help the message of the church, but that he had to. In fact, they would have said, you still have to obey the law. You still have to, you know, do everything that the Old Testament prescribed, plus put your faith in Jesus. In fact, they could look to the Old Testament and, and seem, to see, uh, to, seem to kind of examine scriptures that say this. Deuteronomy 
uh, 6.25. Can you go back one, Kevin? Uh, It says, and it will be righteousness for us if we are careful to do all this commandment before the Lord our God as he has commanded us. So you, you see what that seems to say? It seems to say, if you obey, if you do everything God expects of you, it will be righteousness. Righteousness means acceptance by God or right standing before God. In other words, when you are in God's presence, God doesn't snuff you out with his holiness because you're good enough. Now, we don't have any Judaizers here tonight <laughs> that say you need to get circumcised to believe in Jesus. But maybe you've believed or I've believed or you've heard it said from those outside the church, like if you're a good person, if you're in general, like you do good things, God will accept you. Like I'm going to try to make sure that at the end of the day when I die, my my good deeds outweigh my bad deeds. And if I do enough good deeds, like I'll be okay. If I donate to charity, if I drive a hybrid, if I have kids that good good grades, if I have a job that's not like evil, <laughs> if I don't cheat on my spouse, if I believe that there is a God, if I am sort of a, a spiritual person, if, 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 God will accept me. God will welcome me into eternity. I will get to that other place. This is the same message in our context. Did you know that this message is hellish? It's hellish. Because that's the end result of this message. It's lies. See, we can't honor God enough with our deeds and with our works so that he'll accept us. Romans chapter 8 actually says this. It says, For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God, for it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. In other words, none of you in your own flesh, in your own natural ability, can ever please God. Your mind, your heart just doesn't have the ability, just doesn't have the power to honor God. And this is what Paul has to say. So this is called works righteousness. When you kind of work at it, you get righteous. This is what Paul has to say about those people. Warning. (laughs) Beware of dogs. Watch out for those dogs, those evildoers, those mutilators of the flesh. Now Paul is not saying watch out for the puppies. (laughs) He's saying Watch out for the vicious stray mutts that will bite you, that have a hellish bite, that want to drag you with them into a place that is not good. See, one day when we die, we will find out if this message (laughs) 
is true if you put your faith in your own good works and like church attendance, if you trust, you know, going to church will get me to the, to the, the good place, that's gonna bite you. And if you say, you know, I'm just gonna trust that I've, that I've done enough good things, that I've been a good person, that is going to bite you. I don't want it to bite you. See, it's not works that make us acceptable to God. It's Christ Jesus. It's the cross. It's the Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit is one of the persons of the Trinity. The Holy Spirit coming into our lives and giving us new hearts. New hearts that can indeed honor God. Look at what Paul says in verse 3. He says this. He says, for it is we who are the circumcision. Well, he's talking about the believers at Philippi, many of them Greek, most of them Greek, who are not circumcised. So he's saying the, anyone who truly believes in Christ is actually circumcised, whether they are circumcised in the flesh or not. Well, how can this be? Looking at verse 3, we who serve God by his spirit. See, he's talking about a spiritual circumcision, and we see this in Romans chapter 2. A person is a Jew who is one inwardly, and circumcision is circumcision of the heart by the spirit, not by the written code. This means you can't please God by like looking at the Old Testament and trying to obey it. You please God if God is pleased to work in you. If God, through his Holy Spirit, comes into your heart and just changes you, changes you so that you love Jesus and so that you can see your own sin and so that you repent and you begin to live a transformed life, this is what it means to be a disciple who is not good enough. (laughs) Because the Holy Spirit comes into your life through Christ Jesus and makes you good enough. See, Paul in himself wasn't good enough. He wasn't acceptable to God. He did a lot of good works. Maybe you guys have a a list of good works, good things that you have done in your mind. Let's look at at Paul's list of good works in chapter 3, verses 5 through 6. He says this, Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, in regard to the law of Pharisee, as for zeal, persecuting the church, as for righteousness based on the law, faultless. You know what this means? This means Paul did it. (laughs) If there is anyone that could obey the law, who could honor it, it was Paul. And and he says it's garbage. It's It's not worth it. Do you have like a resume, a list of things that you have done that you know or that you think you know please God? Maybe it's those things that you, like you paid for your friend's parking ticket without them knowing about it. You didn't tell anyone about it. It was just this thing. You slipped some money in the envelope. Well, God, God doesn't look at those things and think, oh, this person's okay. I'm going to accept them. That's not how it works. What's your resume? What are those things that you depend on? to please God, to be acceptable to God. This is what Paul thinks about those things. 
about these things that he just listed. He says, but whatever gains, whatever were gains to me, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. In other words, I'm, I'm getting rid of them. What is more, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them garbage that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness that comes from God on the basis of faith. Did you hear where he got his righteousness from? It was through Christ on the basis of faith. It was a gift. He received it from God as a gift. Does that, that means like you and I, we can, we can be acceptable to God we can be acceptable to God through placing our faith in Christ and just receiving it as a gift. To me, that sounds way better than living my whole life uncertain of whether or not I'm going to spend eternity in the good place or the bad place. (laughs) Doesn't this sound way better? Saying, I'm going to trust in Christ. See, Paul had a list of good things that he had done, and what does he do? He throws them away. And he says, what it's all about, we, we receive righteousness through just knowing Christ, through knowing Jesus. I want to challenge us all tonight to know Christ, to seek to know him. I loved the, one of the main points of Bernie's sermon last week. Well, how do you get to know your iPhone? By studying it, by, by taking selfies and, and being in relationship with your iPhone. <laughs> Let's be in relationship with Christ. So here's a quiz. Are you a Paul? Do you realize that no matter how hard you try, it's not enough? Do you want to give up trying to earn God's acceptance and receive it as a gift through Christ Jesus? Do you believe that in Christ, you're good enough? If you can say yes to these things, you're a disciple. You're a follower of Jesus just like Paul. Just like the kind of the the man of the New Testament who wrote all these letters. You're just like him. And you know, it's actually as we realize this... (laughs) Because Timothy and Epaphroditus realized it too. It's as we realize this and as we begin to grow in this that in Christ, like Jonathan's good enough. In Christ, John is good enough. In Christ, Barry's good enough. In Christ, Doreen is good enough. It's as we realize these things that we become a Timothy, that we become an Epaphroditus. See, in Christ, you're good enough. Now, we're going to take a little bit of time here and reflect, reflect on the passage. I want to invite Kathy up to begin playing some music for us as we we take some time here. And I want to ask you this question. Have you been depending on your own good works to earn God's acceptance? Paul has a word for that. The word is garbage. Now, what do you do with garbage? You throw it out. So I brought our trash can here 
today. I realize there are things in my life that I tend to depend on and find my self-acceptance before God. And these are actually very similar things to, to Paul. So here I have a, a beautiful picture of my family and of our wedding day, Monica and me. And Paul was a, a Pharisee. I mean, he was, a, he was an Israelite. He was a Hebrew. That means he had kind of the right heritage. <laughs> he had the right family environment. And if I am trusting on my ability or my family to be like a good Christian family or my ability to be a good Christian husband in order to earn my acceptance before God, what should I do with this? I should throw it away. I should throw it in the garbage. Because it's garbage before just knowing Christ. Now, I went to seminary. Paul says he was a Pharisee. That means he studied the scriptures really carefully. Now, if I am relying on my master of divinity, and you can tell this is important to me by its size, if I am relying on this or my ordination or my ability to be your pastor or how much I read my Bible or how much I pray, or how much I attend church in order to earn my acceptance before God? What should I do with this? I should throw it in the garbage. This one doesn't really fit. I'm gonna put it right here. How about this one? This one's probably the closest to my heart. This is a picture of our newspaper, the town of Westford, the Westford Eagle. Paul said he was incredibly zealous. He was persecuting the church. He was on a mission. We have a mission to, to reach the town of Westford, to reach our front lines, the places where God puts us. But if I am relying on the town of Westford, like how well we do, how successful the trunk or treat is, or how successful I am on reaching my front line, if I'm relying on those things instead of Christ for my acceptance with God, what should I do? I should throw it in the garbage. Now, I believe we each have things that, to one extent or another, we depend on for our acceptance with God. Maybe you think, oh, if only I could be this way, God would accept me. Or if only I could do a little bit more of this, God would accept me. In Christ Jesus, you're acceptable. <laughs> In Christ Jesus, you're perfect. You are accepted by God. And so I want us to take some time. And there are three by five note cards in your chairs all around you. And I want you to take a moment. And if you need a pen, I have some extra pens here. And I want you to write something even if it's only a little bit, that you look to for your acceptance before God. Now, some of you, it'll spring right to mind. You'll say, ah, I know that I try to do that in order to please God and to be accepted by him. But some of you, it, it might take a little while. So I want you to write it down on a, on a pen. If you just raise your hand if you need a pen, I have a pen. Okay, I think we're good. Write it down on the card. And then when you're ready, 
walk up and just throw it in the garbage. <laughs> throw it away. To prepare our hearts for this time, I'm gonna pray. But I want you to remember that the gospel message is two-sided, right? <laughs> the gospel message first starts with me confessing my sins and throwing my self-dependence in the garbage. But you don't just walk away empty-handed, you walk away with Christ. You walk away knowing Christ. And so when you walk up here to throw the card away, I'm gonna give you Philippians chapter three, verses seven through nine. You can just take home, put in your Bible, put somewhere that you'll look at it and you'll remember what you threw away, what you threw in the garbage, what you are no longer relying on for your relationship with God. So let me pray and then just come up as you feel led. And if you don't feel led, you can stay in your seats. Heavenly Father, thank you that in Christ we are good enough. God, teach this to my heart. I know this in my mind, but I don't live like it. In Christ would I find my worth, and in Christ would each one of us find our worth. So would you bring to mind those things that we rely on to be acceptable before you, to each of us? Would we write it down, and would we throw it away? And would we find our perfect acceptance in Christ Jesus? In his name we pray, amen.